grocery store. I'm at the combination nail salon and grocery store. Wait, she's at the nail salon and the grocery store? I'm at the combination nail salon and grocery store. Groceries through Instacart delivered to my door. I don't have to choose between acrylics and the grocery store. Welcome to the RuPaul's Drag Race Recap Show for Season 13, Episode 6, titled Disco Mentry. My name is Joe Batanz, and I am joined, as always, by one disco ball of a co-host. From <laughs> the podcast pod is my co-pilot. Please say... Keep it going, keep it going, keep it going, keep it going. Thrust it forward, thrust it forward, thrust it forward. And push it up, push it up, push, relax the face, have fun, ow. To Taylor, <laughs> the Latte Boy. Hello, Taylor, the Latte Boy. How are you? Joseph, how are you doing today? I'm doing just fine. You know, as you know, over at patreon.com slash afterthoughtmedia, you and I just, I, you know, we had probably one of the longest episodes of Just Between Us Girls where you talked about uh, some new additions to your home. Mm-hmm. You know? You also, we also talked about the lies you tell. Uh, <laughs> yes, the lies that I tell. The uh-huh. untruths, fallacies, lies, deceptions, just every, everything that I do that I, I just am. And, and what a cruel person I am. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you confess it here on the air. And then, uh, <laughs> and then how you lost out on a chance for a Comic Con exclusive Wonder Woman doll. Mm, yeah. We'll see. <laughs> By the way, if Taylor ever gets that Comic Con exclusive Wonder Doll, Woman Doll, look forward on Patreon to season four of RuPaul's <laughs> Drag Race right here on Afterthought Media. Mm. Anyway, uh, if you want to join Patreon, which by the way, guys, the Patreon is so good and it's only going to get better. I know what's coming. I know someone who works there and I know what's coming down the, the pike. So is that the right phrase to say? And uh, I think so. Yeah. And so uh, go to patreon.com slash afterthought media. And if you just join at the $5 premium level, oh, my God, the content you're getting right now, it is insane. The weekends, I don't know how people even have time to listen to the shows in the weekends. There's so many shows that come out on the weekends. It's insane. Anyway, patreon.com slash afterthought media. All right, Taylor. This week, the queens pair up to create garments out of wallpaper to put on a history of disco dance number. Olivia Lux thrills the judges with her disco inferno, while rivals Candy Muse and Tamisha Iman are forced to take shake their groove things in a lip sync battle for their lives. In the end, Candy Muse lives to see another day, while Tamisha Iman is asked to sashay away. Taylor the Latte Boy named two things you liked about the episode and one thing you did not. This might have been, with the exception of the last two minutes of the show, my favorite episode of the season so oh, far. Oh, really? Interesting. I very much – because it was a content-heavy show mm-hmm. in that there were storylines. There was okay. things to focus on other than just the challenge and then you know the, 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 the looks and then the elimination and stuff. So in that regards, I really kind of liked the episode. I love the fact that it was – in many ways, um, a way to teach the children, because as we saw, a lot of people didn't necessarily know references from disco and which surprised me a lot 
considering, you know, a lot of these queens work in where they work and, and that kind of thing. But, uh, and I, I loved the, I liked the, I liked the, uh, moments between, uh, I liked Olivia's story. Olivia's mirror moment I thought was, was really interesting and it helped to show a little bit more about her that we didn't necessarily know. The thing that I didn't like, which I think a lot of people necessarily don't like is I hate that Tamisha's not with the show anymore. I think that the elimination stinks. Um, I do. I think that she had what it takes to go have gone all the way. No, but I think I, I feel like we lost her before her story was complete. Um, and that, that made me a little sad, hmm. but what about you? What are the two things you like? And the one thing you did not. So I would say the two things liked about the episode. First of all, I'm going to be honest with you, even though we're not seeing a lot of Rosé. Uh, you know, early on, I was kind of hard on her for just being, um, you know, a, a symptom of the jandemic that we've been suffering through. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, um, but, uh, she's coming on her own and I think she's very talented. They're not really showcasing her very much. And also, I don't know what it is. I don't, not very many people watch Drag Race Holland, but there was someone like this on Drag Race Holland where the confessional version of themselves that they, I guess the, 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 the dolled up version that they put themselves for confessionals, I wasn't really a fan of, but then seeing them walk around the work, I'm like, oh, so like Rose is a perfect example. Like Rose and the confessionals, I'm like, why did you choose this look? I don't like it. But then, uh, on, uh, on, the uh in the workroom i'm like rosé is very cute so yeah that's that's one thing too uh next again i've said it before and i'll say it again i don't know if it's a concerted effort i don't know what the deal is but rupaul seems a lot happier on this season and i think mm-hmm. that's a good thing to see uh yeah. and then the one thing i didn't like we're going to talk about cuz believe it or not in terms of storylines, I don't really have a lot to say about this episode. However, there are a lot of producer-driven aspects of this episode that I have a lot to say on and that kind of really bother me. Uh, I, f- I feel that this story, I feel this episode is very producer driven where, Oh, I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with, especially the first act felt very producer driven but uh, i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt but yeah go ahead i'm agreeing with you dare you sir anyway uh (laughs) no but also just the fact that um i have a whole speech about this but a lot of things that happened in this episode if you watch closely you're like i wouldn't even say producer driven to be honest with you because to me when i say producer driven in terms of the show i mean on set story producers who are coordinating things where i think that's that but what we're seeing too is some uh post-producing post-production stuff where producers post uh episode are doing things that i think are shady and uh there's some shady judging and and there's a lot to discuss there but um and so i think in other words i'll give you a, a hint i think a lot of things are being ignored or focused on because they wanted i think they wanted to get tamisha out of there for whatever reason it could have been just medical reasons it could be you know they they know that tamisha has you know medical issues and they just they get time for her to go or and um 
but I feel that the candy versus so like we need to have, we just need to do the candy v Tamisha thing now. Uh, I don't know if necessarily those two should have been in the bottom. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I I don't think that given given the critiques that Utica got, I was really sort of hoping, for lack of a better word, even though it could have been one or the other, um, that it was going to be Candy versus Utica. Mm-hmm. Not that I want to see Utica go either, but I feel that Utica got more negative critiques than Tamisha did on the on the runway, as far as particularly as far as her look goes. Well, I mean, even I mean, even goes so far as the lip sync, which we'll get to, is like the way I see it. They did as much as they could to show otherwise. First of all, I thought it was a, a fairly mediocre lip sync, but still, from what I'm, I would agree. From what I'm seeing, I, I think Tamisha won the lip sync. If you're really fairly judging that lip sync, Tamisha's lip sync to me was, and I am saying this as a as a compliment when i say is something you would have seen something i would have seen in 1993 at a gay bar it was old school drag excellence Mm -hmm. and it was very much that where 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 you you can exude the uh the song without needing to do all of the gymnastics and things like that where she was just kind of presenting the song um however i will say there were times that it looked like she didn't know the words where yeah, she was but, just but, kind of mouthing things. Yeah, but I also think that I don't think Candy knew the words, but she would do the thing where she'd turn her back. Yeah. And Candy, to me, if anything, Tamisha's lip sync seemed... Um, I, I, I don't mind talking about this now because I often feel one of the weaknesses of this show is me, but also I feel one of the weaknesses of this show is that by the time we get to the lip sync, we just kind of gloss over it. So I don't mind talking yeah. about it right now. But... um is it seems to me like uh Tamisha's take take away old school drag take away new drag anything like that Tamisha's seemed very studied and controlled and Candy's uh-huh. seemed desperate and manic and almost like a junior high kid in their room by themselves who would in 19 in, in you know 1996 lip syncing to Blue Cantrell you know but yeah. um it didn't see. It didn't seem struck. Not not that lip syncs have structure, but like at least when people. Uh, no, I would. I think lip syncs. I think that you can tell a story yes. through your movement. Yes. Um. Over the course of a song, I you know an, an example that just came to mind when you said that was Evie Oddly at the finale. Yeah. When she when she they did Edge of Glory, whereas you had Brooklyn flipping around to doing all the ballerina moves, mm-hmm. Evie told a story through her face and through her movement that was very nuanced and very structured. And I think that's why she won that lip sync and ultimately won the title. Yeah. So, uh, I think that, I don't know. I, so I think, I think, you know, obviously for story reasons, if, if, were they to get rid of Candy Muse from a story perspective, there'd be, there'd be no story to produce in the show. Everyone pretty much loved mm-hmm. Tamisha and it would diffuse the mean girls. It, it would essentially, Candy is the, center of the mean girls click so were candy to leave is that click would fall apart and so uh like tina would probably just team up with the other new york girls and um like rose and uh and then got mick would just go in with the look girls or whatever so i think that from a story perspective they needed to keep candy 
And well, I think it, it reminded me what they're doing with the three of them is in some ways very Relascatox. Mm-hmm. Like they're setting themselves. I, I feel like those three girls are almost looking at themselves as the new Relascatox, and they went far. So it makes sense because season five is such a seminal season mm-hmm. that they want, like what you're saying, they want to keep that storyline going as but long as possible. What's, what's funny is though, if you look at two of the clicks in the past, once again, I don't know why these girls, you know, if you. If, that whole history, if you don't study history, you're doomed to repeat it kind of thing. I don't think there's anybody involved with the two most famous cliques being the Heathers and the, and Rulaska talks. I believe all of the participants in that regret that. Am I, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Well, I don't know how Detox and Roxy feel about it, but, but Alaska seems to regret it. And I think Raja sort of regrets the Heathers sort of thing in season three. So why? Why would they think, and, and not only that, Heathers and, um, and Rolaska Talks don't have the word Mean Girls in it. Why would you adopt the name Mean Girls? Even if you're doing it, like, that's what people think, and so we're, we're owning it, and, and, uh, but why would you, why would you adopt that? Well, it's just because I think that, you know, just like I, when we did the season five, I had a perception in my head, of th- of things, particularly the Jinx versus Roxy relationship, that looking back at it a second time when we when we talked about it when we did our season five review, that I'm like, oh, I wasn't able to see that, you know, I wasn't able to see that then because I was uh, too busy feeling things. Mm-hmm. That they these girls may be just remembering the good parts of being part of the Heather's or being part of the of Alaska Talks and not remembering the fact that Alaska towards the end distanced herself from the other two mm-hmm. and. You know, how that did create issues in the workroom for the season three girls and and that sort of thing. I don't know that – I mean, you're saying that Raja wasn't necessarily, you know, regrets being part of the Heathers. But I don't know that that's necessarily true for Delta and Manila and uh, Carmen. I, I, I don't know that they've ever really come out and said, I regret being a part of that. Well, it, it's even trickier with the Heathers because I'm not mistaken. If I'm not mistaken – Heather, the Heathers versus Boogers thing wasn't a big thing in the, in the show. It was an untucked thing, wasn't it? Uh, I've, I don't know that I've ever seen any of the untucked for season three. So, and I only know it from the show. Okay. Uh, someone will have to revisit that season and recap it to find out. So, yeah, uh, gee, I, I went through. Yeah. Well, there's a Wonder Woman doll right here that tells me. <laughs> so. <laughs> So anyway, um, yeah, but I think it's a weird, it's a weird thing. There are so many issues to talk about here. In fact, we can get into some of them right now, actually. Let's talk about after Joey's elimination, Candy and Tamisha continue their argument from Untucked while the rest of the girls would prefer to put it all behind them. I, I we could have covered more beats here, but I think I'm ready to put, uh, the argument behind them. Uh, do you have anything to say about what happened in that first act, Taylor? I guess just the one thing that really stuck out was, again, we're seeing where if Tamisha is trying to present herself in a way that is structured and respectable and with some sort of grace, the fact that every time she would start to talk, Candy would just talk over. Okay. You know, whereas Candy, it kind of goes back to that immaturity of Candy of where she can't allow you know utica says it candy can dish it but she can't take it Mm -hmm. and this was an example of that because there was a chance 
And you almost kind of saw it with some of the shots of Tina listening to Tamisha when she was saying things. Like in the beginning, she was very much of what looked like she was agreeing with Candy. But then towards the end of that segment of it, she was more – it looked almost like she was agreeing more with Tamisha, what Tamisha was saying. So Candy kept having to talk over her so that no one would she, – she would have more uh, people on her side, mm-hmm. in her mind at least. Mm-hmm. But it was it was sort of exhausting. After last week's Untalked, when I saw that this was going to be a part of this week, it was a little like, oh, bully. I don't I don't want this to be the whole episode. Well, yeah, luckily they just confined it to that first act. But, you know, uh, I will say I don't know what it was, but watching the first act and maybe they did a job. They did this as, a, as on purpose, but um, not that I went completely to candy side, but it seemed a little more nuanced where even I was like, OK, just to me should just stop. You know, like, not in like, you're wrong, but more like, you're just not, you're not going to convince Candy of anything. You're not going to win your side. But now, again, in that moment, I don't think you realize how you're going to be presented and, and you need to get your story, you need to get your point out there. I mean, look, they did roll the tape and Tamisha was wrong. You know, she did come and come in there and say, and I wish Tamisha would have just said, look, I was in my feelings. This is how I was feeling. You know, because the truth of the matter is, is, and and people who are like this, like Candy, tend to do this, which is they focus on like the very specifics. They focus all of a sudden they become, you know, they parse language because that's how they can mm-hmm. focus their argument. They can't focus on big picture because if they focus on big picture, they're wrong. So they focus right. on like, well, you said this very specific thing, and then. Uh, you know, Tamisha says, no, I didn't. And then that means that Tamisha's wrong because she, because, so their thing was, you came in there and you said, you know, blah, 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 blah. And, and then Tamisha says, no, I didn't. Now, Tamisha probably just didn't remember she said it that way. And then I roll the tape. Right. At the end of the day, who the fuck cares who said what and when? Right. The point yeah. is, you are, you are a bully. You are, an aggressor, you are loud, you know, you're all these things. And by the way, I'm going to say this, you can be that, because then she says, well, I'm this, and I'm a sister. You can be both. You know, Taylor? Yeah. Like, Candy's the kind of person that would lord a gift over you if she didn't think that you <laughs> reacted well enough. I was, I was, I was waiting for my chance to kind of bring up a joke related to that, yeah. So yeah, become very focused on not exactly the thank you, mm-hmm. the words thank you, but how your interpretation of the words thank you are said when you give someone a gift. Yeah. And then twisting that around in your brain to think that the person like immediately as soon as they hung up the phone went from you took a shit on, for example, a poster that was given or a sweatshirt that was given that was a limited edition. But in fact, the person was in fact very grateful for it. And their interpretation of the gratitude did not necessarily match with the, with the interpretation of the gift giver. Yes. I, I, I think I understand what you're saying there. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, if you go to patreon.com slash afterthought media. <laughs> And listen to Just Between Us Girls, you'll know exactly what Taylor is talking about. So, um, Taylor gave me a sweatshirt and a poster. (laughs) (laughs) And he didn't think I was thankful enough. So That's exactly what happened. Yeah. So, uh, but what one of the things I want to comment on is something that happened since our episode aired. Is that Mm -hmm. after the fight, Candy got a lot of hate on social media. A lot of hate. Yeah. To the point where, full disclosure, 
I don't know if I totally believe this, but let's just take Candy Muse at her word, right? Mm-hmm. It seemed very false flag to me, but okay, right? Let's take Candy Muse at her word that uh, these drag race haters found her mom and started saying her mom threatening messages, okay? Right. And um, that's inaccept- unacceptable. It's unacceptable. Why would you send hate via Instagram to anybody. Now, some might say, like, Joe, do you listen to your own show? You have a I Hate Candy Muse theme song. <laughs> yeah, but Candy can choose to listen to this. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm not, re- I'm not emailing this show to Candy Muse. And this is a show where we, you know, review the show. And, right. And also, Candy is knowingly on a show where she knows she might get reviewed. I don't... I've never wished death on Candy Muse. But uh but anyway, but the one thing that I want to pull out, which have I wished death on Candy Muse? No. no. <laughs> I was thinking back of like, has he wished death on no. no, but no, he has never wished death on Candy Muse. But I don't think we wish death on any queen ever no, on this show. No, 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 no. Wish death drops. I wish they would do a death drop, <laughs> but I've never <laughs> I've never uh wished death. But anyway, but what I want to point out is this the 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 official drag race instagram account posted something where it was like you should never do anything but love these queens and i don't know what this bullshit was if someone could mm-hmm. post it in the discord maybe i'll read it or taylor will read it and i thought to myself oh that's rich right yeah because they a that show engineers this drama. Okay. Agreed. B, at any point, producers, because that, that, that fight of most of all, maybe almost as much as the season two, uh, Morgan and, um, Mystique Summers Madison. Mystique, Mystique, Mystique. fight almost came to fisticuffs. At any point, a producer could have gone in there and stopped it. Three, they also could have not shown it. You know? Mm-hmm. No, I agree it was great television, but they're constantly doing things where they foster it, film it, and put it out there. Release it. And release it, you know? And actually keep Candy on the show because they love that she does that. So to put out this thing like, oh, don't hate the queens, you're insane, you fostered this, you're a crazy person, you know. I was surprised how many Rue girls from almost all the past seasons came to Candy's defense. And by that, I mean, said, you know, talking, saying some of the cruel things you're saying to her is not okay. And just, you know, that to me has more validity Mm -hmm. than something that comes from World of Wonder. You're absolutely right there. You know, if I see, if I see something from like on a Twitter or Instagram of somebody saying, you know, while we don't always agree with things that the girls say, we all are a family and we all support each other because we've all been there. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, one thing that I do know that Candy said this week on Twitter, she posted something like, for those of you applying for season 14, know this, make sure your mental health is in check and, and all of that kind of stuff. And I thought that that was, you know, good, bad, or otherwise, I am not a Candy Muse fan, but I thought that, you know, I did feel 
slightly bad for it just because how bad people were coming for it, including us. I mean, I, you know, ultimately this is what we do. We review the show and, and no one is to the best of my knowledge, emailed candy and said, like you said, you know, Hey, listen to the show. They talk about you. Mm-hmm. But I think to attack somebody directly like that, it makes no sense. It's kind of like the people who, you know, if the president, if president Biden posts a tweet people that talk shit to the like what is it what do you think that's doing like do you think that he's really gonna go oh well i should completely change my policy because you know monster dong 420 thinks that you know not everybody should get a stimulus shot like come on just mm-hmm. just enjoy the show recognize what's going on and and it, again it's a show about drag queens mm-hmm. it's not life-changing it's well, a, it's entertainment allow it to entertain you mm-hmm. or move past it one of the Find difficult things, yeah. One of the thing, difficult things about this show, and to recap this show, is is to really uh, separate the reality from the quote unquote manufactured reality. And uh, like for instance, and it's something that I know internally, but maybe I should be better about. Even though I'm not apologizing for anything we did, but to, should explain it that like. When I'm saying these horrible things about Candy Muse and the person that we're seeing on TV definitely deserves to have horrible things said about her, right? Mm-hmm. I internally Character know... Character Candy Muse deserves to have horrible yeah, things said about I in, her. I internally know that that's manufactured. The problem is a lot of people think it's reality. And it, to me, it's a Quinn... It's a Quinn. It's akin to... Like, if we were doing a Game of Thrones recap, I would probably... Like, say, do the same rant about Joffrey, you know, King Joffrey. Yeah. You yes. know, when Joffrey died, spoiler alert, I, uh, I jumped out of my seat and cheered. Now, what's funny is the actor Jack Gleason, who played him, is nothing like Joffrey, right? Right. And, um, now, now obviously Candy Muse is playing herself, but what you guys have to understand is, and I've talked about this on the show, is my boyfriend has coined the term, show batants right mm-hmm. and there is a difference between the person you're hearing right now and who i am in real life and i think even taylor would say that right i think in real life mm-hmm. not that they're completely different people it's just this is a much more on version of who i am you yeah know? uh and I agree with that yeah and so with candy it's the same thing and also to you have to understand something these girls are filmed, and this is true for all of them, Candy, and actually, to be honest with you, I didn't even think about this, I didn't relate this, I'm going to go on a rant about Gottmik, which is the opposite, you know, of the Candy thing, where I believe she is being deified, not that she's doing anything wrong, but that the editors completely manipulate what you do and don't see, and that's what even makes what World of Wonder wrote more egregious, is we they are completely controlling the version of the character that we're seeing, you know, and that mm-hmm. there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours that we're not seeing of the girls, and what we're seeing are selected, curated moments from those hours, and that they right. can manipulate that any way they want, you know. I don't like the character of Candy Muse. Also, she was really boring in that one show I went to go see her in, right? <laughs> but uh, on the flip side, and we'll get to it when it's appropriate, 
I feel, and I think that this is just equally as much of a disservice, that the show is um, uh, putting Gottmik up as a saint, almost as a token, and I think that does her a disservice as well. Yeah. And um, and they're they're editing out these episodes particularly, uh, but uh, they're doing just as much of a disservice to can to 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 to, to Gottmik by and, and this episode in particular uh, exemplifies it. Where if you watch closely, you're like, and we'll get to this in detail. Uh, Gottmik made some mistakes that they never showed, you know. But you have to mm. watch closely. Uh, for this. Uh, anyway, well, apart from this, uh, very, we didn't even, but the, after Joey's elimination, do you have anything else to say there, uh, Taylor? Uh, as far as the, did we, did you talk about the mini challenge? Was that part We're of getting what to it you're... Now. We're getting to it next. Okay. Okay. All right. The next day, RuPaul enters the workroom to announce this week's mini challenge. The queens working in pairs have 30 minutes to create dresses out of wallpaper. Uh, the teams were as followed. You had Elliot and Tamisha Iman, Tina Burner and Candy Muse, Simone and Alari, Rose and Rose and Denali, Olivia Lux and Utica, Candy and Tina. Plus, Got Mick got to choose as a winner of last week's episode. She got to choose what to- team she joined. And of course, she joined Candy and Tina. Uh, Ellie and Tamisha Iman were named the winners of the challenge. Uh, next, RuPaul announced this week's Maxi Challenge. The same pairs will create a disco dancing documentary. Each time, team is assigned a different chapter in disco history. We'll talk about that in a second. But, uh, Taylor, any thoughts on the mini challenge? I like the mini challenge. Yeah. I thought the mini, ch- I like when they do mini challenges like this that involve creativity, that involve taking something from nothing. Um, that makes sense. I mean, you know, you have great ones like this one and the doll where little pound cake showed up. Yeah. Um, that you have the stupid ones where they take a pancake and they have to decorate a pancake. Yeah. But I thought that this one was where you really had to take where everybody, it's, I'm assuming, had the same amount of material, mm-hmm. the same amount of time, and they had to come together to create an outfit that stood out against wallpaper of the same pattern. I don't know anybody who would want that wallpaper in their house. But it was it was fun. I mean, watching the creativity to varying degrees was amazing. And I think of all of the outfits, Fitz, Elliot, and Tamisha's was the best. Yeah, and I'll be honest with you. I was impressed with most, if not all, the outfits that they did that in 30 minutes. That yeah. Was, that was amazing. Um, also, um, a Carol Baskin reference, by which by now is so dated – you know, but you figure when this was the when this was filmed, oh, yeah, that was right in the middle of all of that. Yeah, well, what's really funny too is Tamisha comments on it, and they and they cut away, and I feel it was some sort of a VR. I mean, oh VR. I feel it was some sort of ADR where she says that she kidnapped her husband, and I feel that the producers mm-hmm. either manipulated to say that, or they had her tape it again or say it again because they didn't want a lawsuit. Because yeah. no one's ever accused Carol Baskin of kidnapping the husband. <laughs> right. Right. If by yeah. kidnapping, and then, you mean and then they, they quickly made sure to add the allegedly, yeah. you know, in yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, was... But also before, remember when RuPaul walked in, and I, and I thought of you, thank God RuPaul addressed this. When she came in there and did her Charles Nelson Riley impression, and all the people mm-hmm. were guffawing, by the way. Right. I, I wrote down in my note, there's no way any of these fucking bitches know who Charles Nelson Riley is, right? Except for Which maybe makes Tamisha. Me so sad. I'm surprised Tamisha didn't, but um 
Uh, do you want to explain to the children who Charles Nelson Riley was? Charles Nelson Riley was a, I guess he was a comedian slash character actor who yeah. appeared in a lot of things in the seventies. Um, and was particularly, he was a mainstay on match game. Yeah. Which that surprised me if they all are supposed to know what snatch game is that, that they didn't know what he was. And he was often known for his ascots. I was just, I, I was just talking to after buzz TV's Jay Ellis this week about something. And he didn't know match game. He thought they invented snatch game. He didn't know it was based <gasps> on the match game. Well, that okay. Well, then I am teaching the children that snatch game is based on a game called match game, which was on in the seventies and early eighties. It was a daytime game show, and Charles Nelson Riley was one of the. He was always in the top top right corner. It was contestants similar to snatch game, and but the difference is they would often film multiple episodes in the same day and they were all allowed to drink <laughs> while yeah. they were so if you watch episodes like if you watch over the course of the week the the um panel seems to usually get more filthy <laughs> and more like slurring their words and stuff by the end of the at the end of like every fifth episode um betty white was on there a lot uh who was the one that always sat next to charles nelson riley uh well, then they had like uh, Richard Dawson was all he was a mainstay of Richard, Richard Dawson, and then Richard Dawson like he wanted to leave to go be on Family Feud, and they wouldn't let him in of his contract, so he refused to talk. So for like a lot of the later seasons that he's on, he never says anything; he just holds up the card. Um, there was a lot of Burt Convy was another one that was on there a lot. There was a lot of those, but Charles Nelson Riley in particular was of a group of actors that were assumed to be homosexual <laughs> it was like but it there was, was never it really came out it was like, like paul lynn wink, was yeah nothing. paul lynn charles nelson Riley. there was a wink wink aspect to it um yeah rip taylor you know like <laughs> you know and there were these guys who they were super gay you knew yeah. they were gay your parents your grandparents all knew they were gay but they just didn't say it right right there was a, there was enough tongue-in-cheek where they would sometimes say things where they would go right to the edge of making like a cocksucking joke but then would like pull it back sort yeah. of thing you know but then then talk about you know their girlfriend at home or something like ridiculous like, even though everybody knew what was going on but and and it, the it, outfit so, that yeah and the outfit rupaul was wearing was very something that R charles nelson riley would have worn on the match game yes yes like a colorful and that's leisure Charles suit. Nelson Riley. Yeah, with like a, a NASCAR. And he did, and he's like, oh, 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 you know, like, oh, oh, oh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like, and sometimes he'd wear a captain's hat and a pipe, a pipe. Yeah. <laughs> for like no reason. Yeah. You know, yeah, they were, those kind of people were ridiculous. Um, if, so if game show, if you have game show network, mm -hmm. I mean, they used to show all the old match games. Yeah. Uh, and they would show them at like prom, at prime time because they are they hold a lot of them really really hold up. And Brett Summers, thank you. So somebody said just said Brett Summers in the in the uh, Jordan Darling just said Brett Summers, mm -hmm. um, and she was like the original fag hag mm -hmm. <laughs> kind of where they were constantly they would bicker, but then they were, mm -hmm. you could tell they were the best of friends. Mm -hmm. um, but if you can find Match Game any place, it might they might even have old episodes on Amazon Prime. Mm -hmm. Watch a couple. Because they they are what Snatch Game strives to be. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, Alec, I don't know if they're still showing it, but Alec Baldwin was hosting a new version of the Match Game. 
which oh that's right i forgot about that which is so funny because then rupaul sort of like mm, well i wonder where they got that idea i'm all when they invented it in the 70s and they <laughs> own it you know i remember yeah. there is this folk artist who uh did a cover he's actually well not a folk artist he's like one of those like hipster art indie artists and he did a cover mm-hmm. of baby got back a kind of kind of singer songwriter style and somebody did something and he wanted like a copyright credit or something like that. and i was like no you covered the song you don't get any right. sort of like credit or anything like that just because you cover the song sorry oh because somebody else did a version like his and he's like oh because oh, oh, they did a version like his on glee and he went on social media oh. and was super pissed that they didn't give him credit i'm like no sorry fucker you covered someone else's yeah. song you don't get that yeah sir mix a lot probably got some money yeah. for that because oh, yeah. re- sir mix a lot yeah. got the money but why would you get even like a mention yeah go fuck yourself you just did a cover that would be like me going like that would be as if if RuPaul did something and did like um, uh, name two things like about the episode and one thing you didn't on her podcast and being like, <laughs> I mean, like, excuse me, RuPaul, I want some credit. <laughs> like, no, it's my show, you know. Right. So, um, anyway, uh, all right. Now let's actually talk about the teams for the maxi challenge. Uh, Tina Candy and Got Mick were a team, and they were doing the birth of disco. The birth of disco. Elliot and right. Tanisha had disco and sex. Olivia Lux and Utica had Studio 54. Denali and Rose had disco fashion, while Lala, Rhea, and Simone had disco sucks. Uh, next, RuPaul entered the workroom to talk to the, the queens. Denali and Rose chose each other because of their backgrounds in dance and choreography. Ru teaches Lala and Simone about the disco sucks movement and later comments on the racial and social imp- uh, implications of the disco era. Later, Candy worries about her team's dancing ability. Any thoughts on the table visits, Taylor? I thought the table visits, that was a really great opportunity for Rue, and I'm glad she took it, to really sort of teach the children about how disco is so important to the LGBT movement, to what we know is music today. A lot of music that you wouldn't necessarily consider to be disco now has its roots in music from the 70s and 70s and early 80s. Um, I was aware of the Disco Sucks movement. Um, and I was very sad when the Queens could not name three disco songs. I like that she's done that a couple of times with them where she says, tell me where she said last week, tell me your favorite share songs. Mm-hmm. And this week she said, tell me your favorite disco songs. And the fact that the girls couldn't do it really kind of bothered Name three me of your bit. favorite disco songs. Three of my favorite disco songs are Last Dance by Donna Summer. Uh, I love Take Me Home by Cher. And another of my favorite songs is, oh God, what's the name of that song? Um, it's a Bee Gees from Saturday Night Fever. Uh, I'll just say Staying Alive because I don't remember the name of the Night Fever. Night Fever is the one that I like from Saturday Saturday Night Fever. Okay. How about you? Three, three disco songs. Last Dance by Donna Summer, Take Me Home by Cher, and Night Fever by the Bee Gees. Anyway, uh, Do you not like disco music? I do actually really do. There is um Oh, oh, No More Tears by Donna Summer and Barbara Streisand. Okay. I that that's funny you mentioned that because somebody that listens to my other show posted on Facebook the song that was the number one song for your on the on your 7th birthday 
is the title is how is the title for your year for 2021 and that was apparently the number one song on my seventh birthday enough is enough oh, so i thought that was very funny considering last year and that this is this is that so yeah, okay sorry uh, go ahead. it's just so enough funny because my seventh birthday number one song was party in the usa but um <laughs> <laughs> but uh okay that one so um the um, heaven knows with donna summer and um that's a great song. Yeah. And then I would say, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. I know I haven't heard the Teddy Pendergrass version, but Don't Leave Me This Way is pretty fucking great. Don't Leave Me This Way isn't it? Yeah. Oh. When they said that Teddy Pendergrass was the original version, I was sort of like, I will have to check. I feel like I've heard that before, but I'm so focused on the Tommy Houston version. Mm-hmm. But I will have to try. I will have to try that one. Yeah. I, you know, uh, and by the way, I don't know if people know this. In uh, 2011, all right, and this actually relates to this. In 2011, lesbians around the world got together and voted for the official anthem of lesbians everywhere. And uh, so we know that all lesbians agree that this song right here, it's uh, by Alicia Bridges, uh, is the greatest disco song, at least to lesbians. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, Lori Rockingcamp and I often talk about this on our other shows on Patreon. But, um, what do you think of this song, Taylor? This, this isn't one of my favorite disco songs, but I'm a gay man. This song reminds me of, uh, The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, because it's on the soundtrack. So anytime I hear this, I think of that movie, which that's a great soundtrack that has music from all different genres, but there's a couple of disco songs on there. And that, that always reminds me of that. And now. What were you saying? And it also reminds me now whenever I hear it, I think of I think of you and Lori. Why? So, and Lori Lori needing to finish up whatever you're recording because she has to get out and get her boogie on at the at the lesbian bar. Oh yeah, Lori's lesbian behind lounge. the Walgreens on Sunset that she has to go that the, the makeshift one that they bring up as soon as that music starts. Lesbians from all over yeah. California flock together mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and just scissor in the Walgreens parking lot to that song. Carpeteria is what it's called. And- <laughs> I snorted. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Any other thoughts, Taylor, on uh, the table visits? No, I think I think that just the fact that it was used to talk about the disco movement and how important disco is to modern dance music and the drag scene and everything now. I mean, it really is. It is a building block to LGBT history. Mm -hmm. um, And just what the seventies were like for so many, for so many adults. You said this earlier, but I was surprised that the girls couldn't name three disco songs. I don't, I don't know. Even if you don't know the artist, I wouldn't have gone with the artist. Like I would have been like, I will survive, you know, don't leave me this way. And, uh, you know, disco duck or something. I don't know, but um, but I was surprised they couldn't do it. 
Yeah, and then and then the candy couldn't differentiate between differentiate between Diana Ross and Donna Summer was, and then the, what she said she goes one has big hair and one is dead. I was sort of like, oh, that's, I know, that's, really. You're awkward. Trying to build your fan base back up, you don't just refer to Donna Summer as like, oh, she's the dead one. That's not that yeah. that's not good. All right, Taylor. Well, on that note, why don't we take a break and when we come back, uh, we will discuss the rest of the show. Okay. <laughs> This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would I do for an extra hour in the day? I'll tell you, I want to write more. In a, in a, in a previous life, I uh, was a writer, wanted to be a writer, all that jazz, you know, wrote things. And then it seems now that I podcast, which is an, a, a great creative outlet, by the way, I just write less. And well, I do write a lot. I just, I don't know why I'm going on about this. I write less. I don't write creatively as much as I want to. Now it's mostly just writing about RuPaul's Drag Race or whatever is coming up for the show. And if I had an extra hour, I would spend it writing. And that's what I would do with an extra hour. That's what matters to me. But what matters to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. I have benefited very much from therapy, and it's helped me set priorities in my life. Hell, the reason I am a podcaster full-time is because of therapy. It helped me realize where my priorities were. And I benefited from therapy, and I think everyone can benefit from therapy, and that's why I think you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, it's designed to be convenient, it's designed to be flexible, and you can totally fit it in your own schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Drag Race today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Drag Race. Yeah! All right, Taylor. <laughs> I love that everybody in the Discord all wrote yeah all the same time. Really? <laughs> yeah. Let me look. Let I me look. Oh. Four yeahs. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right, for the Maxi Challenge choreography rehearsal, the girls meet with choreographer Miguel Zarate. Candy, Gottmik, and Tina have difficulties keeping up with the routine. Lala and Simone learn the difference between a hip and a dip. Elliot and Tamisha work with hula hoops. Rosé and Denali effortlessly pick up their complicated dance routines. Meanwhile, Utica and Olivia twirl fabric for their number. Taylor, any thoughts on the choreography segment? Well, I think that we have the the low bar of Todrick Hall and who who can who can rise above the low bar there. And I think that Miguel Miguel, right? That's yeah. his that's his name? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought that I thought that he was really good with with most of the girls. He only had one kind of bitchy comment to make, I think, towards Utica. Um but otherwise I thought that he was he was good. I agree with you, but I'll tell you there's a difference. You know, there's a difference. Which is, okay. he was being playfully shady, and there was that twinkle in his eye that you knew it was all in fun. Where Todrick gives you that death stare. You know? Yeah. 
where like my eye is on you and this could really count where Miguel was playful you could tell he was being funny and and I don't mind that it's the sort of like uh like uh like I'm your boss kind of feel that Todrick has I hate Todrick Hall. yeah I hate him so I much know. I saw this thing on like the blogs the gay blogs or whatever and it was like Oh, look at Todrick Hall's beautiful, like, he spent, like, $25,000 or some crazy amount of money on, like, a famous designer designed his, like, bed frame. And mm-hmm. I was like, go fuck yourself. Like, God, God, I fucking, you know what? He's spending all this money on his bed frame or whatever. Why don't you go pay the at fucking this hamburger people? Mary's. Yeah. Todrick Hall is spending all this money at this hamburger Mary's. Yeah. Uh, don't you, allegedly, you're not paying people. It's been alleged online. Yeah. Maybe you could use your money to the $10,000, $25,000 you spent on this thing to maybe pay some of the people that work for you if that's true, Todrick Hall. Mm-hmm. Anyway, any other thoughts on the choreography? <laughs> no, I j- just that I definitely, when I see they have a choreographer, I, I'm very, I'm always concerned that we're going to have a, a Todrick Jr. And I didn't feel like that's what this guy was. I thought that he was like was the, the, the scene with Lala and Simone, I believe that's who it was with the, the hips where he was trying to teach them all or trying mm-hmm. to teach Simone how to, you know, use her hips or use her dick instead of using her hip. I thought was a, was a cute, it was a fun, we're willing, like you said, we're willing to play a little bit. It wasn't that whole, well, girl, you better figure that out or you're going home that we normally would get from Todrick. Now, let me, maybe let me ask you, for some reason, I feel you would know this. We did learn in this segment that Tamisha quietly, uh, has an ostomy bag. But what's, the, I've only known of colostomy bags. What's an ostomy bag versus a colostomy bag? I think, I, I don't necessarily know. I think that she was just calling it an ostomy. Ba- I think it is a colostomy bag, but I, I'm not sure about the different types of colostomy bags. Any of the, those that I had to deal with in when I was working for hospice was always a colostomy bag. So okay. I think that that might have just been the way that she was saying it. I could look and see mm-hmm. if there are different types of colostomy bags or different types of ostomy bags. Yeah, why well, do? And for people who don't know, uh, I don't know why you would need a. Col- why do you need a colostomy bag? I mean, I know, I know it's basically where your poop goes, right? But instead of going out your butt, yes. it goes into this bag. Yeah, because I and because I believe she said she had. Didn't she say she had colon cancer? Oh yeah, she did. Uh huh. Uh huh. Right. So I mean, that makes sense. <clears throat> that that would be. Uh, there is the three types of ostomy bags: are colostomy bag, ileostomy bag, and urostomy bag. Um, so if her if her colon, you know, is still in the process of healing then they would redirect any poop any waste that she had to go out and empty out into this bag versus emptying out the 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 natural way to allow things to heal up the way that it needs to be sometimes unfortunately that is permanent but there are times where you can have a colostomy bag temporarily with the intent of being able to redirect things back to where it goes out um out through your uh rectum Interesting. Yeah, and I could see how that would be very, very uh, embarrassing. Um, yes. And and not only embarrassing, but also in a show where she's already much older than all the other queens. My, is she the oldest queen to compete? Actually, I don't even know. No, I believe that uh, – what was the one that just stood there during the Britney Spears song? Charlie Hydes, I think, oh, okay. is – according to uh, – Charlie Hydes – 
claimed to be 51, I think, the season that she was on. Whereas Tanisha, Tanisha is saying that she's 49. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, uh, but to be in that older girls, that that kind of makes you seem even older, even though she's just a cancer survivor. Young people can have it too. But um yes. I could see. I could see. And also you wanna seem, you know, competitive. You wanna seem competitive. I, yeah. I will say that and again, we don't know who knew what or anything, but kind of scrolling through Twitter last night around the time that she said this on the show. Candy posted a tweet and said, girl, what? She goes, this, this mean you're even stronger than we took you for. So I'm assuming that maybe she hadn't said anything to the girls prior to this mm-hmm. or Candy was trying to say, I don't know, but I, I definitely took notice of that when she, when she talked about that, um, on the show. Yeah. And, and, and you know, to go, to go back to something we were saying earlier and, and you just addressed this guys, once again, we don't know what happens off camera or after the show. They could have totally made up. You know, sometimes, you know, you get in a fight. Like, for instance, let's say someone taped a fight I had with Aiden. That doesn't mean we're always fighting, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So, um, it's just, whatever. But, <laughs> but by the way, that does not change this. I hate candy. I hate candy. Uh, all right, it's Elimination Day and the queens get ready for the runway. Candy, Tina, Got, Mick coin themselves the Mean Girls. Olivia tells her story of playing the piccolo marching band and reveals that she used to be overweight. Candy discusses her battle with her inner demons. Tamisha reveals that she grew up in the project and the importance of an older person who saw her potential a lot going on in this elimination day taylor and uh let's 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 break it down one by one let's talk about candy tina and got mick and their their self-christening uh taking ownership of the name or label of the mean girls what are your thoughts on that well i think particularly you know we've seen tina and candy sort of lean into that and using that as a intimidation tactic. So if they figure they can use that to their benefit, it doesn't surprise me that they're going to use that. I don't get Gottmik as part of that. Gottmik kind of reminds me of, at least at this stage in the game of that grouping, as the, you know, in the old Looney Tunes cartoon where there was the big bulldog and there was the little dog behind or there was the, yes, Spike, yes, Spike, whatever you say, Spike. Yeah. I kind of get that from Gottmik right now. Yeah. Um, but if it's where she feels like, you know, she can be part of with the cool kids yeah. and Tina and Candy see themselves as the cool kids, yeah. then she, it makes sense that she's going to hitch her wagon to them. Yeah. I, uh, I, I agree. I, but again, I don't know what we're seeing, but, 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 but we've seen yeah. no evidence or heard anything that got Mick was a shady bitch. I just think, you know, we talked about this last week, you know, um, uh, I, I don't know what's in got Mick's, uh, history and nor do I want to, uh, speculate, but I've seen it before in other people that often people who are come from, families with maybe kind of like abusive relationships with their parents will often seek like just almost kind of like a woman who has like an like uh, an overbearing father marry someone like her father 
you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, she's just repeating patterns that she learned elsewhere. Uh, I'm not saying that she did, well, but like, it could be that she, she's just used to that sort of environment. And so it's comfortable to her. Well, but, and it's funny because even though I said to you, don't bother watching Untucked, Gottmik had got a video message from her parents last night. And she talked about how important it was that they referred to her as her chosen name, um, and gave her support and talked about how despite everything, how difficult it was for her transition, they were always very supportive and, um, and in that regard, I, you talked about that a little bit last week as far as thinking that Gottmik's reaction to Candy and Tamisha related to something in her past. It doesn't seem like that came from her parenting, at least. Now, that's not to say that there haven't been other issues that maybe kind of brought that up for her. But but that was you talking about that. I, I know that I told you don't bother watching Untalked, but that did happen last night. And she seemed genuinely there. It wasn't like in season five when Alyssa got the video from her father and she immediately was like hysterical crying. Like Gottmik was like super excited to get the message and was just like, that's so amazing. And was so excited to hear them call Gottmik by Gottmik's boy name, Cade. On the flip side though, on the flip side, and you're right. I don't know. I don't know anything about this Gottmik. I know nothing. Right. But on the flip side, I have a couple of friends who are the sweetest, nicest people you'll ever meet. Sweetest. Oh, oh thank God. you. Sweetest, nicest people you'll ever meet, right? <laughs> uh-huh. And they have some of the most awful, horrible friends. Worst, the worst friends. The dregs of just terrible people. Uh-huh. And I used to often wonder why they had these friends because they're such wonderful people. And what I realized was they were so nice that they were able to look past them and that they were the only ones that would take them. So these mean people glommed onto them because they didn't have a lot of people who liked them. And this person was nice enough to just they just saw it could be that too. You yeah, know, I have friends who like literally the nice people, and they have the worst friends, the the most horrible, horrible human being of friends. So it, it might not be always be a parental thing. There is something going on there because I don't. From what we're seeing, it doesn't seem it. It seems like Gottmik would be hanging out with like Olivia Lux. Yeah, and not um, Tina and uh, and Candy. Uh, okay. Now going on, Olivia tells her story. Speaking of of playing the piccolo in the marching band, and that she used to be fat. Uh, what were your thoughts on this, Taylor? I think that I was glad to see them talk about this in that this is another way of um, people who are struggling with feelings of low self-esteem engaging in some sort of self-soothing behavior. And for some people, it's drugs or alcohol and other people, it's, you know, sex. It's But, you know, for a lot of us, it's food. And um, her being so kind of open about talking about that and some of the bullying that she received and everything, and then to find a new outlet for self-care in drag and theater, I thought was I thought was a great way to kind of talk about finding finding your tribe, for lack of a better word, and yeah. finding those group of people who love you and support you no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, I had mentioned last week that any time that we have seen Olivia write up to right up to recently uh she always seemed very petite to me and then i mentioned last week that in some of the ball looks that she looked kind of 
and I, I like you know she she looked bigger than I expected her to not heavy in any way but she was like wider so now it makes more sense you know even if she is somebody who's lost a ton of weight and I don't know what Olivia weighs and it's none of my business what Olivia weighs but that you you still kind of have that bigness to you even when you're smaller you know what I mean mm-hmm. so but I I thought that it was it it was it was another aspect to her story that I think is continue why people are continuing to really fall in love with Olivia. Uh she talks about a moment when she went to an amusement park and she couldn't get on the ride. Uh-huh. And I immediately thought of the question, Taylor, have you ever been to an amusement park and you couldn't get on the ride? Close to it, but no. Um, Rodan, my co-host on Pod as my co-pilot, had a situation where he couldn't get on. No, that's not true. I there was a time where we went, <laughs> we went to Las Vegas, and they have that roller coaster at New York, New York, and Taffy and I, um, and uh, oh God, the listener you're friends with, uh, Nico. The friends that were there were friends with Nico all went to get on the roller coaster and he didn't necessarily want to go on it, but he was hanging out with us and we wanted the front seat because we were Taffy and, you know, Taffy and I, and they couldn't get the bar closed on either one of us. So we had to do the walk of shame past everybody, including Nico, who was already like locked into his, and he kind of had this look at his face like, well, you guys are leaving. We're like, yeah, the thing won't fit, but it was, it was embarrassing to walk past. I had another time at Universal where. Uh, the the joke I made was the 16 year old had to jump up and down on my chest to get the bar closed for the Hulk uh-huh. roller coaster, and I couldn't breathe, and it was ve- that was very scary because even though that roller coaster is only you know 75 seconds long, I had to take these little tiny short breaths while air is being blown in my face, and I, that was the closest I've ever come to like hyperventilating. Oh my god! So it was it was scary, but. I don't have any issue with that anymore, but I mean, there are times that I think that there is still that where I'm more like that with things like um, booths at restaurants back when people went to restaurants. But I immediately would like if if, they're, if we're being taken to a booth, I immediately do that scoping it out. Like, am I going to be able to fit into this? Is this going to be an issue? And, and, you know, especially if I'm with Taffy because Taffy's a, a, a larger gal. So I have to do that. I have to do that mathematical equation in my head of, are we both going to be able to fit into this? Is this something where we have to kind of tilt the table a little bit once we get in taking turns, that sort of thing. And it's, it is anxiety inducing. Yeah, no, it is. I think, I think I heard. Um, no, the closest, <laughs> the closest I ever had was when I went with my little friend Jonathan to, uh, Disney Cal, Disney's California adventure. And it was actually this like kitty roller coaster, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we got on it. And you knew they were on a date. We were on a date. They knew he was on a date. And we made sure he was tall enough. And then um, <laughs> we get on the ride, and it has a big dip. So I had this bar, and we sat next to each other, and the bar didn't go down the like, – it was just one of the, the go- like Haunted Mansion. Like yeah. One of those ghosts, but it didn't go down far enough for – like it went down for me, but Jonathan needed to put – they needed to get a big foam – uh, spacer to put between uh-huh. the bar and Jonathan so he wouldn't fly out of the car because the bar didn't uh-huh. go down far enough. And, uh, that was the closest ever. But, um, that was it. Uh, okay. And then finally, Candy discusses her battle with her inner demons. Oh no, we still have Tamisha too. What were your thoughts about Candy talking about her inner demons with her mom and all that? I think that it explains a little yes. bit. 
especially to those who didn't maybe necessarily um, completely understand where candy was coming from or the, or the peeling back the layers of, you know, when, when, we're, you know, something that I say to clients all the time when they talk about issues with conflict with, you know, loved ones or people in their lives where I say, you know, it's not about what you're fighting about. It's about the feelings that are related to that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, candy kind of revealed that, that it wasn't, you know, she said, I try very hard not to let that out anymore mm-hmm. the way that I used to just something triggered me. So it might be the fact that it was an older queen was coming for her, mm-hmm. you know, and feeling like that, feeling that, especially somebody that everyone up till recently had been kind of looking at as maternal to have this maternal figure kind of saying things could have been where that triggered her. I, I don't know that you know, it excuses the behavior, but it helps us to understand a little bit where it comes from. I feel like there might have been some last minute editing for this episode, considering how much hate Candy got mm-hmm. um, over the for, over last weekend of where especially the thing like, you know, even when they say things in past shows like play back the tape, they don't ever play back the tape on the show. But the fact that they actually showed them playing back the tape and that they gave her this moment to kind of show mm-hmm. who she is. I can't help but wonder if that, that was something that they figured out a way to manipulate, uh, not manipulate, but to but to add that or to enhance that in the show to kind of give Candy some breathing room for from some of the hate that she's been getting. Yeah, you know, Taylor, I say this all the time on the show, and I think with all the bluster and everything like that that comes with doing a show like we do, it it gets lost or forgotten. But I like to call balls and strikes. I call things as I see it. And so when Candy went into this speech, and what I mean is that I give credit where credit is due, and I I try, and I really do, I try to at least, and see where I'm wrong and and whatnot. And so I still don't think I was wrong about the character of Candy Muse that we saw last week that was deplorable behavior. But what I got to see this week was why that happened and understand it a bit more if that makes sense and uh-huh. so uh i i you know and and this is something that you know not necessarily that only people of color experience but it's it's a it's an anger that people who aren't straight cis white men who fit into the mold for whatever reason suffer through all the time and just anger builds up and perhaps tamisha hit a trigger that no one knew about you know and that's Mm. why candy reacted the way she did now you have to do the work to to control that you know but uh, but at least we got a sense of like, oh, so this is exactly why we saw what we did last week. Yeah. You know? And it's not necessarily because, you know, Tamisha is a person of color. It's not necessarily a race thing per se, but it is something, it is an anger that has built up because of a race issue, if that makes sense. That the gases have been built up and bottled and they release because of- it, com- it compounds that. Yeah, I, I, I would, I agree and, and disagree with you all because I think that you can see the way that pe- when people lash out at others, mm-hmm. so often it's related to something else or the way that somebody else made them feel. And I think that that's even true with 
cis white men. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you think about the last four years in this country, a lot of the reason that we got had to tolerate a lot of the bullshit was because of stuff going on in his life before before. Well, you're you saying know, you're saying cis straight white male. So obviously you're talking about Lindsey Graham, the senator from South Carolina. Yeah, well, yes, yes, clearly, clearly, Lady G. Um, but I think that's I think that's anybody. But when you have so, when you have a marginalized group, mm-hmm. whether that is a you know a person of color, whether that is uh, LGBT, mm-hmm. whether that is trans, whatever that is, well, LGBT is trans. But uh, you know, I think that it definitely exacerbates more so when you have somebody coming for you, Mm -hmm. you know, as much as, as much as, you know, triggers it triggered, the word triggered is sort of overused at this point, but Mm -hmm. it's, I think that this is a situation in which candy was triggered and, and just sort of, you know, we've all had those situations where we have started off trying to make a statement and then just completely lose control. Um, I've had it where I've had it in the last couple of weeks where I'm trying to, I had a really rough day a couple of weeks ago and I started to talk to my husband about it and just like word vomited all like saying things that like kind of came out of nowhere. And, and like, you know, say where eventually I'm like, I got to go for a walk. I can't, I can't be in this house anymore kind of thing. Not yelling at my husband, but like yelling to my husband. And he just kind of sat there and looked at me and, you know, whatever. But it was where things that were said to me mm-hmm. definitely triggered stuff in me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was able to kind of hold on as long as I could until I got home and then just exploded. Well, yeah, you know, there, we talked about this. I don't know if it was on this show or a different show where we talked about uh, a, 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 no, a well-known episode of the rumor mill where mm-hmm. our former co-host George made a joke about how I'm ugly and I lost my motherfucking shit. I became Candy Muse, you know? Yeah. And, you know, because Lori calls me fat and ugly all the fucking time, and I laugh. Joey Booker called me fat and ugly all the time, and I laugh. But it was who was saying it. Because to me, George embodies those mean gays that I always mm-hmm. encounter when I was growing up. You know, or coming, becoming a little gay boy of age in West Hollywood. Because I know, I follow George on social media. I know what his lifestyle is like. And he is part of those same kinds of groups. So to me, it wasn't a peer telling me. It was a mean gay telling me that. It was one of the mean right. girls, so to speak, telling me that. And it triggered me. And I lost my shit. And so I don't know what Candy's background is, you know. Maybe Tamisha's behavior, because she's older represented a, a parent or a somebody yeah. older who you, who did the same thing to her. In fact, yeah. to, to transition to Tamisha's story, it shows you um, how an older person can have such an influence on you because Tamisha's mm-hmm. sort of nurturing style came from a, an older person who was kind to her. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Do you have somebody like that in your life that you can think of? Not necessarily. That's not relative. Yeah, not necessarily in terms of my adolescence, but definitely when I um, started doing the SAT tutoring or started my own business, there there were a lot of people. And this is one of the things that I've talked about that's difficult for me because you know I grew up 
in Orange County, California, which is very Republican. And I was talking about how with my test prep business that I ran for years, some of the biggest breaks that I ever got from people were from like super Republicans who mm-hmm. literally there was, um, you know, the guy who started the Princeton Review. He helped me a lot. Uh, there was this woman who was the mother of a, of a student that I taught and she really liked me. And she said, listen, uh, I have this office that we never use. Would you like to use it and tutor students there it was for free? She charged me no yeah. money. And uh, other things are, let me do this for you. Let me do that for you. Let me help you. Which also highlights, to be honest with you, in a, a way, privilege. It's not necessarily white privilege because I'm a person of color, but it did come with privilege because I, ha- I had access to very wealthy people who could afford that to do that. And mm-hmm. so uh, I benefited from that privilege. So it's more in that way. I never really had anyone in high school or anything take me under their wings I can think of. Okay. What about you? I had, um, I, I guess when I was in high school, when I was in high school, my first real job was uh, Spencer Gifts, where I worked in the mall as, mm-hmm. as, as and the selling lava lamps and pranks, selling lava lamps and fake dog poop and yeah. cards of the big fat old women with the big like long tits and yeah, yeah that was that was my job. And selling new kids on the block posters. I remember yeah. when they came in and that was like, you could well, keep them in. I've talked this, I've talked about this before. The can, this is prepubescent gay boy Joey, you know, would go with my grandma and she would, I would go to Spencer Gifts while she went to, I don't know, Talbot's or something. And, um, uh-huh. I would just look through that, those, that big rack of posters that you could flip through. And uh-huh. I would look through, but I would see the, the, the basically the cheesecake shots of the guys. And I'll tell uh-huh. you one in particular that I really liked. And I, but I, you know, but then if someone came, then I'd go to like the Michael Jordan poster or something like that. Right. Right. But I right. remember the one I just loved was Johnny Depp in 21 Jump Street. It was just him standing <laughs> against a wall, this dick bulge in his jeans. And I was just like, just stare at that poster. I wanted it so badly. And the poster. We had, we had one of those TVs that had the VCR at the bottom of it. Mm-hmm. And they, so we sold for a while a Chippendales, uh, oh video yeah which was like soft 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 core porn yeah and you would just have it on a loop and there was one guy who usually they just had on like um g-strings and yeah. stuff they would eventually show they were like standing out in the middle of the desert they'd be dressed like a cowboy and then they would slowly take over the coast but there was one guy that was in a tub and you would kind of see like his soapy ass coming up out of the water and that was always something that i made sure that Every once in a while when I was working at the register, I had where you were supposed to have that on in a loop all the time. And I was just totally constantly waiting for that, like, half a second of where you saw, like, hot guy butt crack. Yeah. Kind of thing. But anyway, going back to, you know, a mentor for me, um, uh, the thing that there was an assistant manager named Tom mm-hmm. that was very much of the uh, – he was a, he, he knew I was gay. That was, there was no question, but I was still, and he was very much of that showing me through the way that he lived his life, how freeing it could be and how wonderful it could be to, to be that person and all that kind of stuff. And then years later, he was down here. He, I happened to run into him at the airport at Tampa International Airport when I was dropping off my mom after a visit. And 
like he was like oh my god we were like having this conversation he's and he was just like so how are things going i'm like well i came out and he was super excited for me and and all that but uh, you know just by kind of being around him i got to see what it looked like to live like a gay man in like the late 80s in south jersey Mm. and so and so in some ways he was kind of like a, a mentor to me without even necessarily realizing that if he called you now was like would you suck my dick would you do it no no I was never attra- I was never attracted to him. I never he was just he was he just was he just always seemed to be in a good mood. He always seemed to be really happy. He was very funny. Um and I remember once the first time I ever got drunk was at his house. He had a bunch of us over, a bunch of the the employees over and we were playing drinking games and I drank madrasses. Which mattresses are vodka, cranberry juice, and orange juice. They're a very pity drink, but they will fuck you up, especially when you're 18 and don't, you know, don't know how to hold liquor. And I just remember getting sick and throwing up. Thank you. On the main stage, the girls presented Discomentary. Uh, do you have, do you have a specific thoughts? I mean, I can go through each scene. Do you have a specific thoughts on each scene? I was sort of disappointed with this. Um, the only things that I really liked, the only performances I liked when it was the group performances. There yeah. was the group performance where that when they all uh, danced to a version of You Make Me Feel, Mighty Real by Sylvester. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was that was the only thing that I was like, they all look really good. But I thought it was a very lackluster performance on just about everybody's part. Yeah. Uh yeah, I, I, uh, you're right. The, um, and the, oh, what? Then there was a red, then that, they, okay. So guys who haven't watched the show or don't watch the show, they had like fake, like, uh, music that paid an homage to what they were, the song they were trying to do. So like if they did uh-huh. Disco Inferno was a song that sounded like Disco Inferno. They had one, I don't even know what song was trying to pay homage to, where the person just kept saying, um, who's that woman that could never won the Emmy? Oh, then she finally did. Susan Lucci? They just yeah, we're Susan saying Lucci. Poochie Poochie Susan Lucci. Yeah. yeah. It, I think I'm like, Susan Lucci? And then I'm like, okay, Susan Lucci was big in the 80s. Yeah. Because of all my children. But that was also the disco suck section. So maybe they were t- – d- that didn't make any sense to me either. Yeah. Yeah, but all I kept hearing was Susan Lucci because they kept saying it over and over again, Gucci Poochie Susan Lucci. And I was like, what the fuck are they talking about? <laughs> Uh, and then the We Are Family Soul Train inspired number. Yeah, it was, to me, it was, it was fun, but it was not, it was underwhelming, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Underwhelming is a really good way to describe that. Like, I was checking my phone for stuff like that. I didn't feel like there was anything really, no one really fucked up, though I will say, and it'll come up later, during, um, uh, uh, Got Mix, performance with tina and candy i was like they're not really focusing on got mick and i could see mm-hmm. why where you if, you if you if you caught really quickly she didn't really know the steps and was fucking up but they just didn't they focused on candy you know who right was just whatever all right well taylor it is time for your favorite part of the show it is time for the looks, the looks. all right um so yeah. let's see so, okay, the first look that we have is Tina Burner, who comes out in a paint outfit. Uh, the, the theme was Little Black Dress. 
and then she rips off the paint overalls to reveal a black dress that has her signature fire colors on it and handprints over the breasts and on the ass um and kind of a sad shake and go wig i did not necessarily like this look i i, I get i get you want to incorporate red yellow and orange into all of your looks now this this wasn't it for me um i thought that the pleather looked cheap uh and it looks it looked kind of halloween costumey to me so not a fan yeah uh, uh go ahead okay well no, I go saw, ahead. you're talking about tina burner right tina burner yeah okay. I saw someone online say uh, that also, too, that this orange and red and black thing, like, mm-hmm. if this was the first time, maybe it'd be impressive. But now it's just like, okay, well, this is what we're doing. Yeah. And just like, okay. What we're doing. All right. So, all right. So, Candy Muse, did you like the look at all or were you, no? I agree with you. It was costumey. Okay. So, Candy Muse came out in a paper dress with a little black dress. Uh, written, uh, drawn on it with a paintbrush. She was covered in black paint, had paint in her hair to give it kind of a wet look. And it looked like she has a purse that was also a incorporation of dress. I am not a fan of this candy muse. I thought this was a great, I thought really? that this was very interesting. And for some reason I loved the wet hair with like the black, like hairline and stuff. There was something about it that I thought she almost looked pretty no, no she did she looked pretty to me i i will give her that one that i thought that this of all of her looks far this was my favorite look of the season for her so in that regard i enjoyed it okay so next up was Godric, who came out in the littlest of black dresses where a little black dress inspired we'll call it a merkin with uh pasties and she had it always on the front and the back with slick back hair i, l- I loved this look too i thought this was super original um, and it showed off a very sexy body. Um, and I, I very much enjoyed that. And though, even though twink bod isn't necessarily my thing, I, I can appreciate it when you're able to celebrate your body and do it in a creative way. So I liked the look. Completely disagree. I know that. Dis- really? Yep. I feel the disappointing look. I feel that, um, I don't think it was very original. We've seen something like this on the show before with either Valentina or Detox. Uh, I get what she was going for, but also too much like I was saying about Tina Burner. If this uh-huh. was the first time we had seen anything like this from Gottmik, then I'd be like, oh yes, bitch, work. But we've already uh-huh. seen these episodes where it's just the, 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 for someone who went to fashion school, in design school, she's shown us very little except from the very beginning, and she's very talented. We've seen it. It just seems like it's just always showing body yaddy yaddy, and it's like, okay, well, can we see? Can we see something more? We've seen this. I, I've, okay, I've seen it from her, and I've seen it before. So I was not particularly impressed. Yes, clever that it was a little tiny dress covering her crotch area, but. Wasn't wasn't a fan. okay. So well, next up was Elliot with two T's. Uh, speaking of uh, <laughs> not impressed, where she came out in the, in a little black dress with a golden black uh, jacket. I liked the jacket more than the dress. I thought the dress looked like something you could get at Macy's. Um, she looked pretty. Her hair looked pretty and everything, but it was very off the rack to me and and kind of boring. So I was not a fan of this look. I had no strong feelings about it. 
Okay. So next up was Tamisha Aman, who came out in a black dress that she created herself made out of neoprene, which they appreciated the craftsmanship of it. And I can appreciate the craftsmanship of it as well. Uh, I thought that she looked very elegant, very beautiful, but I also feel like the neoprene around the hips didn't necessarily do her any favors. It kind of made her hips extra wide, but not necessarily in a great curvy body way. I have no surprise about this. Next up is Olivia Lux, who came out in a little black dress and crazy uh, red big Anna Nancy Wilson of heart hair (laughs) and uh, with her little tiny purse. Uh, I thought the dress, I wasn't a fan of the dress, but I thought it looked beautiful from the neck up um, or body looked beautiful, but the hair and the makeup were, were on point. So I very much enjoyed that. So I'm looking at this and she looks fantastic. She looks fine. But to me, it reads as safe. I don't understand why she's later declared the winner. I think she was declared the winner more for her performance and the energy that she was giving versus, um, Versus the look. Okay. But I mean, technically, Elliot gave a really great performance and her look was lackluster as well. But I think that with, I think the hair is what put Olivia over the top. Wouldn't you say that the same thing is true for Rose and Denali? No, because I wasn't necessarily a fan of their performance. Okay. Very good. Okay. So next up was Utica. And Utica came out dressed as one of her earrings, uh, where she was wearing a black dress with a with a hat that had a big hook up the top of it, and then a gold bodysuit underneath, and extension extended uh, makeup with a silver face. Um, I, I get why she did what she did, and I think again it creates that creativity. Um, and I liked it. I liked it. It's it's odd, but Utica's odd. So I think you I think you have to go into this expecting. When she's going to come down the runway, she's going to do something that may be a little confusing, but it's it's pretty and it's fashion. And so in that regards, I like it because I like Utica. Okay, a couple of things. One, <laughs> I wish Utica, it makes me actually sad, could just own who she is. I don't think Utica likes something about herself as much as I, because Utica I really, really like very much. But she's always doing these goofy faces because I don't feel she's comfortable in her own skin. And I think if she owned the outfit more, it would have sold better too. Fuck the judges if you don't know what it is. This whole like, well, we don't know. We didn't know it was your earring. Well, okay. You didn't know it was the earring. Right? That's on you. Why is it on her? Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, well, because they're the judges, and and the rules don't apply for her. For, the rules don't apply to each queen every single week. The rules change from week to week. We've we've had that before, where they tell a girl to be more truthful to herself, and the next week they're like, "You need to tone it down." Yeah, I mean, no matter what, no matter what, they're constantly trying to to fuck them. So I, that that doesn't surprise me. Um, next up is Denali, who came out in a little black dress, uh, kind of doing a Black Widow. Uh, 
uh, or Black Widow spider theme where she took off her hat and she had multiple extra eyes and there was big uh, spider webs down the back of the uh, under the sleeves and on the back. I thought the dress was beautiful. I loved the idea of the spider webs and then the reveal at the end with the eyes and the black contact lenses she had was very creepy, um, but very sexy creepy. It reminded me, uh, which should come as a shock to no one who watches the show, of Widow Von Du's look last year when they did black wedding dresses. It kind of had the same it almost felt like an homage to that in some ways. And I thought she looked very sexy and very pretty. All right. Next up. I have no thoughts. Okay. Next up is Rose who came out with a gray, uh, with gray hair and a black little black dress that had lots of gray tool around it to sort of, I think it was to accentuate, uh, the uh the shape of the little black dress but i thought this just made it look super boxy it's the gray of the dress the gray tool of the dress with the gray hair i think just sort of washed her out uh not my favorite look of rose's uh but i mean it made her safe so i guess it was good enough for her but it wasn't my favorite look mm-hmm. i have no thoughts on this look Okay, so Lala Ree came out in uh, the tiniest of black dresses. Uh, it was way too small, uh, and she kept having to hike it down, and she had lots of silver jewelry on um, that, that laid on her, sh- on her around her neck and on her shoulders. Uh, I thought she looked pretty, but the dress was way, way too short. If you can't keep the dress down, then the dress isn't working for you. Uh, so not, not a great look from Lala Ree this week. No thoughts. No thoughts. Okay, so the last one to come out is Simone, who came out in another tiny little fringy dress and came out with hair that was an homage to RuPaul's uh, Back to My Roots video, which was, God, that song's almost 30 years old. Um, And I thought that this was a great look. It was a sexy look. It had lots of movement to it. The hair, if you if you watch the old video for Back to My Roots, you can tell where she got the homage from it. And uh, I thought it was a great look for Simone. I thought why she was safe, I don't know. I think this look deserved to be at least on the runway to be not maybe not, maybe win, I don't know, but at least to mm-hmm. to, to get praise for the look. I, I I was floored by some of the looks that made it onto the main stage and she was just safe. What do you think about that? Um I could see where I think that they may have been looking more at performance versus performance versus looks mm-hmm. and i because they didn't really other than utica they didn't really seem to focus on the outfits i know they talked a lot about olivia's hair mm-hmm. but it feels more like they were more focused on their their performances and i don't know that utica and lala's disco sucks uh part part of the disco mentory it didn't make sense to me. It would have made more sense to me with the disco sucks if they had done like a hard rock song because that's really what when they burned all of those, uh, when they burned all of those records in Chicago, it was a hard rock or a heavy metal channel that did that. So to have incorporated where there would have been a fold over to that, um, maybe disco going into to a hard rock song would have made more sense to me. There was a great podcast episode. I'm, I'm unfortunately, I don't remember what the podcast was where they talked about the history of the Dick that that night when they ran over the records and I think with a steamroller and like lit them on fire and did all that lit them on fire and then like a riot broke out yeah, yeah in- it's crazy yeah but how that led actually that moment led to the birth of like hip hop and house uh-huh. uh because I think it's house actually specifically 
like house music took away the strings of disco but kept the beat or something it's, the podcast is amazing mm. it, it, it traces how that moment spawned a whole other musical moment that turned disco oh, wow. into something else yeah it was very very interesting uh all right okay. well taylor anything else on the looks nope that's the looks well those are the looks all right on the main stage rupaul releases got mick denali rose lala Ree, and simone backstage for untucked olivia lux is the winner of this week's maxi challenge while tina elliott and utica land in the safe positions that leaves candy muse and tamisha iman to go head to head in a lip sync battle for their lives the song hit em up style by blue cantrell in the end i love that song by the way candy muse Candy Muse here, here's Rue say Shantae, you stay, while Tamisha Iman is asked to sashay away. Taylor the Latte Boy, any final thoughts on the episode? Why would you spend mm-hmm. an hour and a half sure. on a show yeah. talking about disco yeah. and then not have the Lip Sync for Your Life song be a disco song? Heaven knows. Hi, everyone. My name is Joe Batanz. <laughs> I will be at the... the M- <laughs> At the Chuckle Hut, I'll be at I'll be at Chuckle um, Hut Tuesday through Friday. <laughs> it didn't it, that didn't make any sense to me. I because I even turned to we have talked about the fact that you would love for them to do enough is enough, but probably the amount of money you would pay it would take for them to yeah. you know pay for the royalties for that would be too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I turned when they started recognizing that it was going to be about disco and stuff. I turned to, to my husband and said, "If they do Last Dance, which would make sense." Because it's the last dance for one of the two girls, I said I'll lose my shit because I love that song so much. Yeah, they've done a Donna Summer song in the past, but it might be the so Barbara Streisand part. Well, but that that makes sense for the Enough Is Enough. Oh. But you know, Last Dance by Donna Summer. Plus, she has a huge catalog. Plus, there are other songs that they could do. I mean, they got the royalties to We Are Family. They could have easily done We Are Family as the last, as the lip sync for your life True. song. So or. Well, they've already done Sylvester because that was Bob versus Derek. I think. Well, was also they've feel. repeated songs. They've repeated a couple of songs. It's not unknown. Yeah, I just feel like that was a that was a missed opportunity for. I mean, there are a million disco songs out there. They could have done "I Love the Nightlife" to build up their build up their lesbian base of the show, True. but they chose not to do that. They chose to do "Blue Cantrell," which I looked up while we were talking, and that song is from two thousand one. Oh, because wow. you said ninety six, and I was like, that song can't be twenty five years old. Nope, but it's nineteen. It's twenty. It's twenty years old. So I can't believe that song's that old. Wow, but whatever. <laughs> can't believe my boyfriend's that old. So anyway. <laughs> So, uh, you know, this is where I want to get into the top. I'll keep it short because we've run long today. Mm-hmm. I feel the show is doing a disservice to Got Mick by uh, by treating her with kid gloves and differently than they do the other cast members. Mm-hmm. There seems to be some sort of either they're afraid to say anything about her or show her in a bad light or a favoritism that I think does trans people – no good. I can't remember who said it, but there is a famous civil rights person who talked about the soft bigotry of low expectations. And okay. that sort of feels like this. Like, we, uh, it almost feels the implicit the take that I'm getting from this is trans people are really sensitive. And if we treat them like the other girls, they're going to get really upset. 
And by the way, the reason it's even more offensive is because Gottmik is very talented. We've seen Gottmik's talent. And so to not critique her when it, when she's due for a critique, I find to be not offensive, but it's not, it's doing a disservice to, to Gottmik and it's doing a, 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 a disservice to trans people. Because, okay. um, look, if anything, this was, was Gottmik safe this week? Yes. Yes, because she was in untucked with the thing with her parents. Yeah. And I feel that Gottmik should, I, I don't like the look, but I'm afraid, I think they're afraid to say it. And, uh, but that could be wrong. Maybe they liked it, but there have been moments, but the, what I was talking about specifically, why she should have been on that main stage. If you watch the disco segment again mm-hmm. and you watch closely, you will see in her, in Gottmik's number, Gottmik is floundering throughout yeah. the number, but they've cut it in such a way that you don't see that. And the fact that the show is ignoring it and not calling Gottmik out on it, not that she, not that Gottmik has to go home, not that Gottmik has to lip sync, but to just ignore it is unfair. Because it's saying that there are different standards that we need to lower the standards for trans people. When this mm-hmm. is true for any minority, like if they were to have a different lower set of standards for uh, Asian people or for black people, that would not be fair. That it, it, w- People who are different, people of color, they just want the chance to compete on the same level. And okay. and I think the that's why I said there's a lot of um, production heavy-handed production here because usually we see it in um, during the production itself with story producers, but in this case, I think it's an editing thing. I think it's an editing thing. Um, well, no, because they didn't choose her, so the, the so the editors have to now justify. Because they probably see the footage and go like, Gottmik doesn't know the steps. Gottmik, you know, like, and so they have to justify it. And so, like, if it's one of these things that I don't know where Gottmik goes, lie. But um, if Gottmik goes very far, you might wonder, how did she go this far? Okay. Or the opposite of where they're ignoring a lot of the errors in judgment and then when they suddenly come for her out of nowhere it doesn't make any sense we don't see the arc of whether she either starts to improve continues to improve or continues to go down yeah we, there's no storyline whatsoever the storyline yeah okay well taylor let's call it a day on that note uh that's gonna do it for this week's episode of rupaul's drag race recap be sure to join us next week and every week as we continue to discuss dissect and deconstruct each brand new episode of rupaul's drag race season 13 so for taylor the latte boy and myself sashay away until next week Thank you for listening to RuPaul's Drag Race Recap. Have something to say? Email us at dragracerecap at afterthought.media. 
For more Drag Race and LGBTQ content, support us over at Patreon at patreon.com slash afterthoughtmedia. You can follow Tanner the Latte Boy on Instagram and Twitter at P-I-M-C Taylor. Follow Joe Batanz on Instagram at Joe Batanz. That's J-O-E-B-E-T-A-N-C-E. This episode was produced by Luke Stamen. Drag Race Recap is an Afterthought Media podcast. We'll be right back.